sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made a salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. We're going to begin this morning by praising God for making his salvation known to us. Let's thank him for the marvelous things he has done through his son, Jesus Christ, the servant king who left his glorious throne to give up his life as a ransom for many, the one who died on the cross as the all-sufficient sacrifice and rose again from the dead to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Let's stand and give all our praise to him.
sing this together. Sing it in Jerusalem. Sing in Jerusalem, walking where the crowds are. Once these streets have sung to him, now they cry for murder. Such a
And let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we want to thank you for your great salvation. We thank you that your Son, Jesus Christ, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing, taking on human flesh, taking on the nature of a servant, and humbling himself even to death on a cross, where he died as our substitute, taking the punishment for sin that we deserved upon himself, where he died as our scapegoat, taking our sin away from us as far as the east is from the west. And God, we thank you that the tomb is empty. We thank you that death could not contain him, but that Jesus is alive and it is finished. And we thank you that now one day we will also be raised with him and receive a glorified body in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for us for the lengths that you went to to reconcile rebellious, sinful people like us back to you. Lord, this morning we also want to say sorry and confess our sin. So often we forget the wonders of your glorious gospel. So often we forget that we are united to Christ. And so we try and make ourselves the Lord of our own lives. We easily fall back into sinful habits and attitudes. Lord, please forgive us. Lord, have mercy on us and cleanse us this morning. And Lord, we ask for the grace we need to live for you day by day. We ask that your Holy Spirit would bear fruit in us, that he would teach us your ways, that we may become more and more like our Savior. And we pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome. If you don't know me already, my name's James. I'm one of the pastors in training here. Uh, later on in our service, our associate pastor, Liam Garvey, will be continuing our series in Philippians. So we look forward to what God has to say to us this morning as we open his word. If you're new, why don't you stop by uh, the Connect Corner after the service, let us know that you're here. Um, that's where you can find out more about us and what goes on here. At Charlotte Chapel. And of course, we'd love to welcome you and get to know you. Our evening service is tonight at 7 p.m. and Andy Patterson uh, will be continuing our series in 1 Samuel. and uh, He'll be taking us through 1 Samuel 20. Uh, so please do come along this evening and why not read that chapter uh, before you come. I have a few notices this morning. Uh, first of all, uh, the latest edition of the Go Pray magazine is now available. Uh, so please make sure you grab one. Uh, on your way out, either from down here uh, to my right or at the back door. Um, these are great. It contains all the information you need to know uh, to pray intelligently about our cross-cultural workers. So, so please do grab one before you go. Secondly, our anniversary Sunday is going to be the 1st of May this year. Um, and our anniversary offering will be going towards the work of the Bonner Trust. We'll be hearing more about the work uh, that the Trust do uh, later in our service. Um, but now Derek Nash is going to come and bring our final notice. Thanks, Derek.
Thank you. Well, excitement's really building now as we look forward to our Passion for Life mission in the run-up to Easter. And we're absolutely delighted that we have the renowned evangelist Michael Otts coming to lead many of these events and speak at them. And I'm just going to shamelessly plug his book, um, But Is It True? Honest Responses to Ten Popular Objections to the Christian Faith. And I would encourage as many as possible to read it and understand it and even give one away in the run-up to the mission because it's a fantastic resource for us and a great uh, read for people who don't yet believe. Now, there are various events in the course of the week. Some involve singing and interviews and art, but I've been asked to speak this morning about the one that involves bacon, which is a subject close to my heart. So on Saturday the 16th of April at Dalmahoy Golf and Country Club, which is two miles west of the city center, there is an outreach breakfast. And I want to clean up a couple of things and tell you what it's not. One, it's not a golf event. And two, it's not a men's breakfast. It's an outreach breakfast for, for us all, okay? So everyone is welcome to come along and participate in that. And Michael Lotz is going to be speaking after a nice cooked breakfast on the subject of, is there more to being happy? But it's not designed for you to come along on your own. It's intended for you to bring along a friend or a family member or a neighbor or a colleague who hasn't yet embraced the Christian gospel. It's going to cost you 20 pounds if you can afford that. If you can't, have a word. Uh, so the host ticket is 20 pounds, but the guest tickets are going to be paid for by the church as a commitment to our Passion for Life week. So you need really to pray about this, don't you? You need to really pray that you don't miss this opportunity, that you invite people So pray, invite, and then hopefully if they can come, then you need to book in. And you book in by contacting the church office. We're going to maintain a note of who's coming because our, our uh, numbers are limited. And they should give you a confirmation that you've, you've booked in. And then you will have to pay through the, me the medium that they will explain to you. So you need to get that confirmation. You need to get praying and inviting. And I would encourage you to do that. I'll be milling around after the service if you have any other questions. But please... Let's not miss the opportunities of this Passion for Life week. Thank you. Well, boys and girls, it's time to head out to Sunday school now. Uh, if you're new and you have kids P7 and under, just head to the back and our stewards will, will tell you where to go. Uh, and as they head out, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say hello. Okay, let's come back together. Um, as I mentioned, uh, 
our anniversary offering uh, is going towards the work of the Bonner Trust. Um, our women's worker, Rachel, is one of the, the trustees of the trust. And so we're going to ask her a bit about the work of the Bonner Trust and why we should be supporting them. Rachel, what is the work of the Bonner Trust? Great. Um, well, on the screen, you'll see, I guess, the tagline um, for the Bonner Trust, which is Gospel Workers for the Church in Scotland. So our main aim is training up people um, to be able to work um, in the church in Scotland. And the big focus that we have um, as a trust is funding those who are in training. Um, so we fund either a church apprentices who are starting off their ministry journey to see whether that is ministry is for them, or we fund um, people like James who are doing a pastor in training or a church leader in training role who are really seeking um, God's um, journey for them into ministry. And this year, um, we're going to be funding women who are training post-apprenticeship as well. Amazing. Uh, Rachel, why is that work needed? Why is it so important? Well, you don't have to look far to realize that the spiritual need in Scotland is great. Um, estimates are that there are around between 1.5% and 2% of born-again Christians in Scotland. The conversion rate of people coming to know Christ is about 1%. In the past 20 years since 2000, about 275 churches have closed in Scotland, which is about 12 a year. So there are now communities, um, towns, villages across our country who have no gospel-believing, gospel-preaching church in them. There are people there who won't have any opportunities to hear about Jesus. And so to make any change to that picture of the spiritual need in Scotland, we need people who are willing to lead churches and to be involved in gospel ministry. And so that is the, I guess, the desire behind the trust is to see more people trained and the next generation of gospel workers in Scotland trained to lead, revitalize, and plant more churches in towns and cities across our country. And the route into ministry, the route into pastoral ministry can be costly for many. Um, it can be a big jump for people to leave a full-time job and pursue full-time um, theological education. I know that that was my case, leaving a full-time teaching job to pursue um, the apprenticeship was really helped by having the funding from the Bonner Trust because I knew I could do it without worrying about the support that I needed. And also um, having funding allows people who have no support essentially to be able to pursue um, gospel ministry um, and be able to support themselves and their families during training. Okay, great. Um, Rachel, can you tell us a bit more about who has been supported? Yeah, so um, the trust was established in 2010, and since then we have supported um, over 150 individuals, which is about 1.3 million in grants. And even more excitingly, about 75% of those are involved in church leadership or are in training pursuing um, full-time church leadership. Now, those numbers probably don't really mean very much, but actually it's much better to see faces and names. And I... Some of those names hopefully will be familiar to you. Some of those pictures will be familiar to you. Each one of the apprentices and church leaders in training here at Charlotte has benefited in some way through funding um, by the Bonner Trust. Because as I said, it, it requires significant investment to get someone involved in this form of training. And at Charlotte, we have been able to train more men and women through the funding of the trust. And each one of our church plants has benefited from the funding of the trust as well. 
But also what has been even more exciting for us as a trust is to see um, work developing in the different schemes in Scotland. We've been able to partner with 20 schemes and support some of the people they are training. We've been able to support some of the free churches in small towns and villages up in the Highlands as they get involved in training as well. And then in recent years, what we've started to see is that those that we funded during their training have gone on to lead churches and are now training others. And this is what Martin Smith has been doing down in Hoyek. And it was really exciting to see that in 2019, they started their apprenticeship program and they trained up their first apprentice, Kirsty Scott, who is now able to be on staff with them as well. And this is what we're hoping to see more and more will happen. Okay, amazing. So how can we get involved? How can we support the work of the trust? Well, I guess the first thing that you can do is to be praying for us as a trust, praying particularly for those that we support, those who are in training at the moment, because our desire is to see that they will go on and lead churches, to be involved in church plants, to be involved in revitalizing churches around our country. The need is great, so we need to pray that we will raise up gospel leaders. And then, as James has mentioned, the second thing we'd love you to be able to do is to support us through giving. So on the 1st of May, it is our thank offering. Um, and we are so thankful as trustees for the ongoing support um, from Charlotte Chapel and from the eldership here by willing to support us in this way. And this year coming, so 22-23, we expect to have over 80 applicants applying for the trust, either as apprentices or church leader in training. Um, and that means that we want to be able to give away about £300,000 in grant. But currently, we have a shortfall about, of about £43,000 um, in terms of funding. And that means that that funding represents around about five church leaders or 11 apprentices. And so we would love that the money that is raised through the thank offering would go to some way um, of reducing that shortfall and ensure that we can give um, all that we can to those who are applying in this coming year. Okay, thanks Rachel, that's really helpful. Thank you. At this point, uh, Bruce Goodbrand, one of our elders, is gonna come and lead us in prayer for the work of the Bonner Trust, uh, as well as uh, some of the needs within our own congregation. We're going to pray now for some of the pastoral needs in our congregation and beyond. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you with thankfulness that you are a loving and caring God. We thank you that you demonstrated that love completely in the gift of your only Son, the Lord Jesus, so that whoever believes in him need not perish, but can have eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that your word tells us in the book of Philippians not to be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present our requests to you. On this Mother's Day, we thank you, Lord, for the mums in our congregation, and we thank you that all who believe in the Lord Jesus belong to your family, the Church of Christ being one body made up of many parts. We bring before you those in our congregation who are unwell at this time or are dealing with long-term health issues, and we ask that your hand be upon them. We want to bring before you especially this morning Norman Wallace, Sheila Howard, Betty McIntyre, Natasha Black, Sarah Forsyth, Adrian and Val Todd, Tony Norton, Ian Balfour and Evelyn McCormack. You know their differing situations, Lord, and we ask that you would be with them all. We pray for physical healing, Lord, and we ask that they may know your peace which passes all understanding. We thank you, Lord, that you are at work in every situation in their lives, and we pray that they may know your blessing 
and have opportunities to bear witness to those around them. We ask as well, Lord, you would bless the work of the Bonner Trust here in Scotland as it seeks to support gospel workers in their training and to partner with training churches, training providers, and other organizations. We pray the current apprentices and church leaders in training will be faithful in their studies and work hard at teaching Christ in all aspects of the ministry. We pray for those starting to lead churches that they will be faithful in their preaching and that they will be a godly example in their leadership roles. We pray that over time we will see more churches revitalized and planted in areas of gospel need. And we pray more support will be raised so they can continue to develop and increase the work of the trust. Our Heavenly Father, we bring before you as well our cross-cultural workers team, many of whom serve in locations around the world. This week we remember especially the Wilson family serving with AIM at the Rift Valley Academy in Kenya. We thank you, Lord, their students are back in person. We thank you, Lord, for your work in their school. And we thank you for answered prayer and the provision of an English teacher for the next academic year to bolster their program. We pray for the remaining staff vacancies they have and that you will provide so that nothing will hinder the work of the gospel there. We thank you, Lord, for the willingness of the Wilsons to serve you and to take the good news of the Lord Jesus to the students in their school. As we think too, Lord, of your great commission to us, we remember the differing unreached people groups. And this week we bring before you the South Gaziga people of Cameroon. We ask, Lord, you'd be at work in that part of the world. We recognize the pressures of other faiths seeking their loyalties. And we ask that by your spirit, you would draw many from that group to yourself. Be with our brothers and sisters in Christ among the South Gaziga people. May they be salt and light. And may you increase the hunger of that people for your word. We pray to you in closing, Lord, for the terrible situation in Ukraine. We ask that you would bring peace to that troubled land and comfort to those in need. O sovereign God, these things seem so difficult in human terms to achieve. Yet we thank you that you can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And so we pray that you would be at work by your Holy Spirit in these parts of the world. So, Lord, we thank you that although we may live in uncertain times, the Bible says that your love reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness to the skies. We thank you that your word tells us not to worry and that you are with us always, even unto the ends of the earth. We bring these prayers before you now and we ask them in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Well, before Liam comes to bring God's word to us, we're going to sing again uh, to thank God for the saving and sustaining grace that he has lavished on us. Let's stand as we sing, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Treasure of my longing soul. 
Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read from verses 12 to 26. This is a letter, of course, that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church that he planted uh, 10 years prior to writing. He's in Rome. Uh, He's been under house arrest for at least two years. Epaphroditus has arrived from Philippi with provisions and news of what's happening back home. Philippians is written in response to that. Now, it begins with Paul telling them how he prays for them. We saw that last week in Philippians 1, 1 to 11. He thanks God for their gospel partnership. Christ has been preached as a result. And he asks God for their love for gospel partnership to grow so that Christ is preached more and more and more. Now, here in verses 12 to 26, Paul addresses some concerns 
that could well slam the brakes on the advance of the gospel through the Philippians. Uh, What does he say? Let's read it together. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for your words. Uh, We praise you for the way in which you use it to shape us into the likeness of your son to help us learn what we ought to learn and to put it into practice so that we may live lives that are worthy of the gospel that we believe lord please do that work in us now so that christ is glorified as a result in jesus name we ask it amen okay let me give you the newspaper headline right up front for our text today and it's it's this the gospel advances through suffering. The gospel advances through suffering. Now that's what the apostle Paul tells us. And because nothing matters more to him than the spread of the gospel, Paul, albeit peculiarly, rejoices in his suffering. And I wonder if we do. Uh, Do we know this as a starter? It is a clear and undeniable and repeated thing in Scripture. The gospel advances through suffering, and especially through happy sufferers. Non-Christians notice when we rejoice in suffering for the cause of Christ. There's nothing remotely unusual about Christians who are happy in their comfort. 
but a, when a world that lives to avoid suffering sees Christians suffer and die with joy in the cause of Christ, the world starts to notice and people start asking questions. And other Christians notice when we rejoice in suffering for the cause of Christ as well. Whose evangelistic efforts have not, need, have not received a shot of much needed adrenaline at the news of some sufferer proclaiming Christ when warned of the consequences, refusing to deny Christ when threatened with death. I had a message about this just last week from a friend in Russia. There is a squeeze on because the Christians can't support the war. They're losing their jobs. They're losing their ability to sustain their families. They're being squeezed for being Christian. And it's true, the gospel advances through suffering. So the question, I guess, for us is, why are we, why are we so afraid of it? Why are we so reluctant to suffer in the cause of the proclamation of Christ? We are, aren't we? Am I the only one? There is a steep sense of reluctance and avoidance. I mean, why do we fear the kind of hardships that, you know, book after book after book of the New Testament tell us that these clear, this clearly advances the gospel and magnifies Christ? Why do we fear rejection and ostracism, verbal abuse, or even physical harm for preaching Christ when it leads to him being glorified and people receiving Christ as their Savior and Lord? It's quite a tension, isn't it? I don't want to suffer, but I want to exalt Christ. Philippians 1, 12 to 26 shows that there's, there's something wrong. Can't hold those two things at once. And what does our avoidance of suffering for the cause of Christ say about our love for the lost? Our obedience to God? Our confidence in the Lord and his deliverance? Or in our priorities? I mean, if preaching Christ no matter what is not what matters most to us, what does? What takes that place? Well, we need to know what Paul wants the Philippians to know. The gospel advances through suffering. So be confident in the Lord and bold in preaching Christ. That's the key lesson. That's the key application. The Philippians needed this lesson. Verses 28 to 30, which we'll get to next time I'm preaching on Philippians, tells us they're experiencing the kind of opposition that Paul has experienced and still does. So suffering isn't just for those who are apostles. It's for every believer. As verse 29 says, see it? For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So suffering will deter us from preaching Christ unless we understand its place in God's salvation plan. So how does Paul do this? By inviting them to recall all that has happened to him in his ministry, up to and including the time of his present arrest, and showing them what makes him truly joyful. So I want to walk through this passage in uh, three chunks. Three reasons to be confident in the Lord and to boldly preach Christ. The first reason... Verses 12 and 13, 
is that our suffering provides the opportunity to preach Christ. Paul's dead. Look with me, verses 12 and 13. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, the palace guard, if you like, are like the queen's guards, you know, elite troops with very particular responsibilities. They had, whether they were guarding the sovereign of a particular nation or doing um, tasks like this, guarding criminals. Now, the whole palace guard, uh, we know from history, included around 9,000 men. And it's unlikely, of course, that all took a turn guarding Paul. Even at this point, he's in prison for up to two years, two years at least, actually. And it's unlikely that all of them had a go at guarding Paul. But those who met with Paul have clearly passed on what the apostle Paul was talking to them. Think about it. Think about what it would have been like to be a soldier guarding the apostle Paul. Think about what it would have been like to guard somebody else, one of the hardened criminals that they were used to. You know, what's that like? I've heard a story, some of the stories from my brother, who's a policeman, of what it's like to arrest someone who's very defiant and does not want to be arrested. I'm putting it mildly. The spitting, the swearing, the cursing. If anyone's hands free, there's every opportunity to take a swipe at the guards. Well, I guess that's probably what it was like for the palace guard, for some of the hardened criminals, the zealots and so on, uh, that they were uh, uh, guarding. But it must have been different from the Apostle Paul. I mean, I imagined him walking in, one of the soldiers walking in to guard Paul and hearing him say, oh, I wonder who it is coming in today. Oh, hello, Claudius. How's it going? Oh, I was just praying for your wife this morning. How's she getting on? I heard she's got COVID-3. <laughs> and you would, you'd hear him talk in terms of love and care, whether or not those guards liked it and said, shut your face. Or, uh, uh, yeah, oh, they're, they're all right, actually. Thanks for asking. You know, he would have offered a true testimony of a Christian witness. They would have heard him speak kindly to them. They would have heard him disciple his visitors, like Timothy and Epaphroditus. They would have heard him dictate his letters. If I was Paul in that situation, there was a guard there, I'd be like, and there was no one else in the room. There's no doubt I would be saying, to the Philippians, let's dictate it out loud. Let them hear. They would have heard him pray for his friends. They would have sing his gospel songs. And there is no doubt he would have talked about Jesus with them. Have you heard about this Nazarene who died and who rose again? For your sins. Now, as a result, many unbelievers heard about Jesus. Directly because of his suffering in this cell. Some evidently believed what they heard. Probably even within the palace guard itself. Because chapter 4 closes in verse 21 and 22 saying all God's people here send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household these were the guys many of whom were part of Caesar's household but the opportunity would have been missed of course if Paul had let fear or timidity in those circumstances dictate his behavior Let's face it, he suffered at their hands as well. He could have, you know, bitterness at his suffering could have made him curse those guards. Selfishness 
Choosing to look after number one for a change would have made him forget about the guards and not tell the guards. But love, love for God and love for them and a drivenness to preach Christ wherever he is to whoever God puts in front of him meant that even his chains, his suffering, will not hinder the advance of the gospel. Do you see that? And the gospel advances. Friends, suffering for the gospel in whatever ways that we experience it in our situation will actually serve to advance the gospel. It brings new opportunities our way. And the question is, are we making the most of these opportunities? I mean, if we recoil from suffering, we pass up opportunities that we could actually never conjure up by our own appointment planning. If we live to preserve our own comfort above everything else, you know, looking after number one, we pass up opportunities to lead other people to Christ. And how long has it been since we've done that? Rejoice in the opportunities that we have to preach Christ wherever he preaches us. And be like Paul. Paul, for me, he's just like one of these annoying kids' toys that makes all these like really annoying non-stop noise. You know the ones when you press them and you actually can't turn them off for about a minute? It drives you insane. It's like Paul. He just can't turn them off. Wherever he is, he's preaching Christ. Whatever he's doing, whatever his circumstances, preaching Christ. It's beautiful. And what a model he is to us. Friends, who might hear about Jesus as a result of us preaching Christ through our sufferings? And what do unbelievers who see us suffer learn about Jesus? Do they see something different and ask to know the reason for the hope that we have? For that absolutely peculiar thing called joy in suffering. What a witness. Friends, if the difficult situations we face serve as an opportunity to talk about Jesus, welcome those opportunities and don't be afraid. Let people know that you rejoice in your sufferings through Christ's sufficient grace and talk about his cross, his death, his suffering. Enduring that cross, scorning its shame for the joy set before him. A saved people in eternity, washed by his blood, rejoicing in the end of suffering together. That is not the joy and the privilege of those who don't know Jesus. Trust in him. That's the first thing. Paul's suffering advanced the gospel and it had an effect on unbelievers, but verses 14 to 17 tell us that his suffering actually had an impact on believers as well. And this is what happens. Suffering advances the gospel. Our suffering emboldens other believers to preach Christ, and the gospel advances. That's what Paul did, verses 14 and 15. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, that's what happens when a Christian boldly proclaims Christ from the fire that they're in. I mentioned it earlier on. Who has not been enthused or encouraged given a little bit of boldness to feel like, well, I could actually do this because I just heard from the guy last week that he had the opportunity to share Christ with a colleague at work or with somebody in his family who's really against this. 
And it was wonderful. I spoke to a brother here who was super bold a few weeks ago, and it gave me courage in my own evangelism, even when speaking to a different set of people. That's what happens. Some of our older members here will remember what happened after Jim Elliott and his friends were killed at the hands of the Orca Indians that they went to preach the gospel to. They went in love to seek to bring these people to a saving knowledge of Jesus so that they might know eternal life. And what happened? They died. But what a surge in missions was seen after that as people heard those stories, as people heard of Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Elliot, Elizabeth Elliot's response to her husband's death, the great faith that she demonstrated in going out to these people who had killed her husband, and even reading Jim Elliot's notes, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to save what he cannot lose. Yes, and amen. And yet we're reticent. People saw Paul's courage and became more confident in the Lord. Paul's proclamation of Christ made their confidence grow, gave them boldness. These are the Christians in Rome, that is. And the gospel was preached, as it says there in verse 14, without fear. Imagine that. You fear less when you talk about Jesus or fearful, even to a small degree? Are we worried about what people will think about us? We worry about rejection. This, this person might never speak to me again. This person might talk about me behind my back. That's the kind of persecution we're talking about here, ostracism in some kind. But Paul is greatly encouraged by this. They were encouraged by him. They dared all the more to speak. And the sufferer in prison, struggling, no doubt, is also encouraged in his evangelism as well. It's beautiful. Of course, along with the goodwill preachers, who were really, by their proclamation of Christ, whatever they were in Rome, were standing with Paul, there are these ill-will preachers. They wanted to stir up trouble for Paul. We read about them in verses 15 to 17. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while in chains, verse 17. Who are these guys? What's their beef with Paul? That We know they're not false teachers because Paul does not address them in terms as he does with the likes of the, of the Galatians. They're actually preaching the right gospel. It's just that they're doing it with the wrong motive. It's envy and rivalry are the root causes of this ridiculous behavior. But that's what they do. Envy will make you hateful over a friend's successes to the point that you can't even enjoy it. That's ridiculous when it comes to the proclamation of Christ. And rivalry with a team member proves that you have a higher goal than the team winning. That's ridiculous when it comes to the church of Christ. We're all on the same team. Behavior like that is actually worthy of discipline from a church family or the Lord himself. But how does Paul respond? Right, Paul, both guns, roll up the sleeves. What's he going to say? Yeah, what does it matter? As long as Christ is preached. He's tackled so many opponents before. 
He doesn't stamp his apostolic authority. With a shrug of his shoulders, he says, it's fine. What does it matter if people want to rub my name in the dirt? What's my name anyway? Who's Paul, he would say. What does it matter if some people actually end up thinking bad of me, like I'm some kind of Christian troublemaker or weird, crazy preacher? What does it matter to me if they think bad things of me because of what these guys are saying? Paul's reputation matters very little to him. All that matters to Paul is that Christ is preached and at that he rejoices. Brothers and sisters, how good would it be if our boldness in gospel proclamation led to the same thing that we see in this section? If it led to more people hearing about Jesus through fellow believers who are enthused by our example, rejoice in suffering for the gospel, who knows who might speak up for Jesus because they see us joyfully suffer for him. Philippians talks about this a lot. We'll see it in coming weeks. Like in Philippians 3.17, Paul's called, join in imitating me. Watch him evangelize. Filter circumstances through the lens of the gospel. And Philippians 4, what you have learned or seen in me, put into practice. He wants us to do the same things. But how many more would hear about Christ if we were as focused on sharing the gospel as Paul was? If only we weren't so bothered about people's opinions on this or that or the stirring of other people, whether it's a Christian from another church criticizing yours or hearing about a pastor of another church pulling down your ministry behind your back in order to make his sound awesome. Who cares? That actually happened to me this week. Who cares? Who's Liam Garvey? Who are you? We're nobody. You're nobody. I'm sorry to break it to you, but we suck. We're nobody. All that matters is Jesus, right? Who cares? As long as Christ is preached. I've got more to worry about to recognize that I need to be willing, more willing to face up to suffering to advance the gospel than I need to worry about people saying stupid little things behind my back. I'm not bothered by it. No, I'm really not. I'm really not. Actually, I've, this is one of the signs that I feel like I'm getting old because now I'm just like, man, whatever, don't care. I'm worse than you think I am. I don't care. It's getting a bit too personal. Time to move on. <laughs> but recognize the link. It takes more than human courage to rejoice when you're mistreated, even when people say bad stuff about you. When all you're trying to do is do the right thing as best you can. It actually takes grace. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God's grace is, what's the word? Say it louder. So, okay, one person said it a little louder. I meant everybody to join in. Sufficient. It really is. It actually is. And how many of us, when suffering in something that's apart from the gospel, general suffering, have found that to be true? Yeah, because God is faithful. He's not a liar. He's absolutely true. That's what then puts juice in us. 
a determination to stay focused on what matters and despite the circumstances, preach Christ. It's all that matters. Third thing, our suffering actually makes our gospel partnership meaningful, much more meaningful. Paul rejoices in verses 19 to 26 that his sufferings will ultimately bring about his salvation. That's what the word deliverance in there actually means. In other words, he's courageous enough to face future sufferings and preach Christ all the way to his death. That's what 18 to 24 are about. First of all, their partnership with Paul helps him in his suffering. Verse 19, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers, And God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. What a partnership that is. It's absolutely unstoppable. Paul, the Philippians, and the triune God of glory and grace, striving together for the advance of the gospel. The only thing that will stop that happening is if we shut our mouths. That's the partnership that we enjoy together. Now, what kind of partnership is involved here specifically? Prayer. The confidence to face future suffering isn't something that's forged simply by experience. It takes prayer. And even the maturest believer can struggle under the persecution, under the pressure of persecution. That's why we need to pray for each other as they, the Philippians, have prayed for Paul. Through your prayers. God provides what I need, says Paul. Who says that prayer is unimportant or insignificant? I know we don't say that, but what does our prayer life say? Let's pray for each other about this. Let's make these kind of things the focus of our prayers. Oh Lord, pray that God will supply. I loved hearing Bruce pray earlier on, even for our saints, our fellow members who are suffering. Pray that God will, he said something like, pray that God will give them opportunity to witness in the midst of their sufferings. Yes, absolutely. Not just strength to bear it, but courage to speak. That's what magnifies Christ. And that's the goal of this partnership. What's the result of the Philippians' partnership with Paul? It's simple. It is the unashamed proclamation of the gospel. You see it in verses 20 to 21. Now, Paul's thinking ahead here. He said what has happened to me and told us everything that's happened in the past, but now he's thinking ahead. He has got a date with the Caesar. And who knows how that's going to go? Probably death. And he writes in verse 20 and 21, look with me. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life, Or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that phrase, sufficient courage, is telling. Could actually be translated as bold or frank speech. And that's amazing. Because Paul is basically saying, with my whole life, I'm going to preach Christ. Even in death through his unashamed confession of Jesus Christ, Paul's body will utter one final but glorious speech about the worth of Christ compared to everything else in all existence. If Paul lives, 
He gets to keep on preaching Christ. And if he dies, it will be an eloquent testimony that Christ is more glorious than anything else in all creation. Than anyone else who has ever lived. That Christ is Paul's supreme treasure. That's what verse 21 means when he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live means to live for him, not for ourselves, for him. And to die is gain for, well, the obvious reasons. The end of suffering. All the benefits that you can clock up with your, the Bible verses that are coming to mind right now. But let one come to mind first. And that is to be with Christ. To be with the enthroned lamb around that throne, declaring his holiness, singing his salvation forever and ever with freedom from any kind of fear that anyone is going to touch you, say something bad about you, take your life for you. No more sickness, no more suffering, no more death. If you were writing this sentence, what would you say? To live is what? To die is what? I think before I became a Christian, I would have said something completely different. If you're here today, you're not a Christian, I wonder what it would have said. To live is self. To die is disaster. That's what I would have said. I was all about just living my own way, for my own things, ignorant of Christ and the gospel. And death was a horrendous thing. One of my friends at university died in his sleep while we were at university. Death held, it was like a phantom, it was horrible. And death makes us think about the things that, in life that we ought to think about. And I wonder if you're here today, you're not a Christian. If you're not Christian, have you thought about this? I want to see what the Bible says. If you have nothing bigger than yourself to live for, your life will prove in the end to be utterly unimportant and meaningless. It will have meant for nothing. And in the end, all that it will reveal is a defiance of the God who says, actually, I made you your mind. And actually, I sent my son to die for you so that you might believe and know me and live in a way that is truly life. And because of that rejection, you would be consigned to an eternal hell. And the reason why we say these things out loud, even though you might hate us for it or think that's weird, is because it means everything to us. To live is to preach Christ to me now. And to die is simply to be ushered into his presence at whatever age and stage that will prove to take place. My encouragement for you is to listen to the teachings of Christ. Ask the person who brought you or ask us at the connect corner afterwards, what is the gospel? Ask us that question. And I pray that one day for you, you will say to live as Christ and to die as gain. What about Christians? How would you say that? If we were to inject you with a little bit of truth serum and get everybody to come up. Hello, everyone. Hello. 
don't turn it on. Um, what would you say? You know, we'd say, yeah, to live is Christ, to die is gain, but take that heart out. What would we see? I wouldn't want you looking at mine. Because currently it's not that. And that's why we all need to be praying for each other that it is. Because the answer tells us to what extent Christ is central in our ambitions. And actually to what extent we're ready to suffer for Christ in the advance of the gospel. What matters to Paul more than anything, more than any suffering, is the honor of Christ. And all he's concerned about is this exaltation of Christ. That's his ultimate goal. That's the ultimate goal of our gospel partnership in true fellowship as a church. And that's what results from the Philippians' partnership with Paul. Christ is exalted, or you could translate that word magnified. When we advance the gospel together with the help of God, the Holy Spirit, we focus people's attention like a magnifying glass on Jesus and make him look big. We make much of him. We glorify him. It's the kind of thing that we do with a little kid when we've got a magnifying glass and we've found an ant or something on the ground. Okay, kids, come and have a look at the ant. You focus on something and you marvel at it together. You show people things, the things that they haven't seen before, and everybody goes, wow, that's what we have to do for Christ. Magnify him in the eyes of those who have not seen him before. That's what we are to do. That's what Paul wants the Philippians to do. Their partnership with him helps him in his suffering, but actually the passage closes with him saying that his, that partnership is enriched by mutual concern because Paul's partnership with them helps them in their suffering. So you see in verses 22 to 26, let me dash through this. Paul is considering the two outcomes of his imprisonment. He'll either be cleared and released or condemned and executed. And he knows what he wants to do, Right? His personal want is to die and be with Christ. That's better by far. That's what he says. But the choice is not in his hands. He's hard-pressed between the two. He wants to be with Christ, to be free from suffering, sickness, and death, to be with Jesus forever. But he also really wants to continue with them and in gospel ministry despite the suffering. Because he calls it fruitful labor on Christ's behalf. That's what it is. Working with the church for their progress and their joy. Now, he doesn't know what will happen, even though he says, I'm convinced of this, I know I'll remain and continue with all of you. It's presumably because he's had no indication from the Lord yet as to what is next. Nevertheless, look at what he chooses. What would you choose in this situation? If you had the choice of going to heaven to be with Jesus, Okay, end of suffering, sickness and death, all that kind of stuff. Seeing what your heart has longed for for the entirety of your Christian life or sticking around here at Charlotte Chapel. What would you choose? No offense. But I would choose heaven. But Paul chooses them. That's stark. To remain in the body, to be helpful to them, for, to live for their progress and joy. What does that show us? Paul chooses what's better for them over what's better for him. And he starts to unlock something that he's going to have a look at throughout the rest of the letter. That he is setting an example where he prefers self-forgetful service to a more appealing option and especially to selfish ambition like those guys who were preaching against him. 
as a rival or like the church that is splintered because of selfish ambition in chapter 2. He chooses what's best for them. He wants what's best for them more than what he wants for himself. And that's what partnership with them looks like. Teaching, progress, joy, greater knowledge, so that you've got a greater affection for Jesus and a greater willing with, willingness with that to apply yourself in the advance of the gospel despite suffering. In closing, the gospel advances through suffering. Through suffering servants, not just apostles, all Christians. Let people hear about Jesus through our suffering. The gospel will advance. Let other believers be enthused by our suffering, and through them, let's see the gospel advance. And let's partner together to help each other in our suffering, knowing that that will advance the gospel as well, and in the end, Christ will be preached, and Christ will be magnified. What on earth do you have to live for that is better or a greater priority than that? Nothing. Let's not slam on the brakes on something God plans to speed up. Let's advance and not hinder the gospel. Be confident in the Lord and boldly preach Christ. Tell someone this week about Jesus. Join one of our recent church plants over the last few years and let's support their work so that they might be bolstered and enthused. Queen's Ferry, Grace Mount, Hope City Church. Let's start some new ones. Let's give ourselves sacrificially through ourselves to go and through our finances to give to make more ministry happen. Multiply it. Preaching Christ is all that matters. And let's fuel all of it by ramping up our prayer lives in partnership in the gospel. I don't think there's any better way to imitate Christ. The Lord Jesus who gave everything for us at great personal cost and love, as 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Or 1 Peter 2.21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we find this hard, and you know that. We prefer our comfort. We prefer to avoid suffering. And yet, it is a means and a context by which you serve to advance the glory of Christ through the salvation of souls. So let us not be timid. Let us be bold and preach Christ without fear. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Right, we're going to stand to sing two songs to close. I know we've run over a bit, but I'm in charge. So let's just... Uh, Let's just do it, okay? Paul's not here. Let's just do it, okay? Let's stand and sing two songs. Christ is mine forevermore, and Christ our hope in life and death. Let's stand.
Then Jesus came to them and said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.